Welcome back to another episode of The Dose of D. I'm your host, D Silky. Today, joining me is Shay Nvidiata, and she is in the real estate, the luxury real estate market. She is also a philanthropist and public figure. I'm so excited to have her. Before we jump into today's Silky episode, I wanted to give you guys an update because this is our first podcast episode of 2020. A lot's been going on. I've been working in the studio. Actually, right now I have my intern from Ryerson sitting beside me and she is sewing away and trying not to work her fingers to the bone. Um, Chloe and uh, another intern from Ryerson have been helping me expand on the confetti collection. So the confetti collection was um, a natural progression from a project that I had done last year called Rush and over this past summer i was really frustrated with the industry and with sustainability and the whole concept around sustainability and just feeling like you know there's no regulations around this and it's still such a new term to a lot of us that it's a it's it's very unknown and yet we throw around the term sustainable fashion like confetti So the confetti collection is made out of scraps uh, from previous projects that I have worked on, most of which are silk. And so far we have a trench coat, a bomber jacket, a cocktail dress, and now Chloe and I are working on a gown. So that's super exciting. If you want to check out images of the confetti collection, you can go to dsilky.com. Our confetti trench coat was actually worn by Joan Kelly Walker at TIFF on the red carpet this year. Uh, You can also find images on our Instagram page at dsilkie, D-E-E-S-I-L-K-I-E. So that is one of the many projects that we are working on in the studio. Today, I was also creating a new motif with cannabis leaves. So I have a brand new Silky Girl who commissioned me to make her a silk gown. She is a startup business owner and she is going to be launching her new product line, which is infused with cannabis in a few months. And so she wanted something really classy to wear to the launch party, but still have some really fun tie-dye elements that people think about so often when they think about weed. Um, So that's a really fun project, but it is a lot of pressure because this is a custom silk gown. This is a big deal and this has to be done right so it's uh, slow and steady wins the race with that piece third and final project actually I have two projects on the go but I'll tell you about one um, I am going to be making another conceptual piece so I've been having a lot of fun with the conceptual stuff with the confetti collection with exploring marijuana and how the cannabis industry is really changing um, but with this third conceptual piece it's going to be a conversation starter and as Canadian designers as we quite literally have our money wrapped up in inventory. I'm gonna tell you more about that on my Instagram page over the next coming week, so make sure that you follow if you haven't already. Um, As well, I guess I have so much news to share with you, Silkies. Um, As well, we also started a YouTube channel um, in December and still going strong. We're doing one video a week, so we will be telling more about um, all of these conceptual projects that we have going on, showing the development of all of these projects. Um, Every like, share, comment, subscription helps. You can check us out on YouTube at dsilky. I will stop shamelessly self-promoting myself and you can join in to today's silky podcast episode enjoy i feel like there's going to be a lot of editing in this (laughs) 
Wait, can you like swear on this? Yeah. <laughs> it's like two artists trying to figure out technology. What are we thinking? <laughs> Welcome back, Silkies. As you know, I always butcher names, but I'm going to try to get this right. We have Shay Invidiata joining us today, and Shay is a realtor at Invidiata Realty. She is a TED Talk speaker, the founder of Free Them, which is an organization that um, helps to end human trafficking, and that is just a small bit of everything that she does. Shay, I'm so happy that you're here today. We have so much content to go over. Silkies, we're going to aim to keep this episode uh, short because I know if you, I know a lot of you listen to this in transit, but we were just talking before we started recording that this might go a little bit over. Um, so Shay, before we get started, thanks for, for coming. And I wanted to start off with a little bit of juice. This week, you were at a conference with President Barack Obama. So tell us more about that conference, what it was about and what it was like seeing the ex-president of the United States. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. And yes, this week was definitely one for the history books, no pun intended. Um, you know, being at this event with Barack Obama and also uh, Sophie Trudeau was present. Um, it brought together 6,000 people. Uh, which was pretty remarkable. And the unique thing about this whole series that the Economic Club of Canada is doing is that in order for some of these sponsors to attend, they had to sponsor youth and students to also be able to attend. Um, and so this was a different conversation that was being had, um, different, I think, than what the president might normally be talking about in a business circle. And it was fascinating. We were talking about uh, the new world economy and what the future of economics is really going to look like and this whole conversation around conscious economics and where once upon a time and still really in a lot of um, the global sense where defining success is about who's making the most money and how we need to shift to conscious economics where people, the planet, and profit can all work together in balance. And so 20 feet away from Obama, I got to sit and uh, hear his thoughts on that. That's crazy. It's so interesting that there's actual conferences around this now. It's really evident in fashion mm -hmm. with millennials becoming a bigger part of the consumer pie. Mm -hmm. Millennials are so obsessed with brands that have a story and have that social component to them. And so you're right, that is changing in so many different aspects of life. Um, but especially in the economic um, aspect where people are just more conscious about the decisions that they're making when it comes to spending their money. What do these brands actually look like behind the scene? What are they doing to give back? What are they doing to reduce their carbon footprint? All of that. Okay, so I want to dive into your business background because you have so much knowledge that you can share with the Silkies today. So Invidiata is all obviously a real estate uh, company and they've been around since I believe 1984, 1985. Mm -hmm. Correct, yeah. And they're known for giving back. Um, why is that? Why was that so important to this family business? And what uh, are some examples of how they've given back? So my father, Christopher, um, started in real estate uh, 35 years ago, which coincides with my age. 
Um, he got into real estate because of me. And um, from the very beginning, my father um, has always instilled in us that we have the ability to give back. Even if you don't come from what you would define as a lot or that you don't have a lot of means, with what you have, we're always able to give back something. Um, and so I grew up just watching my father, whether it was I grew up going to church and watching him tithe to the church, but then when we would go away down south to places um, in second and third world countries to go vacation or go on trips, and we would be bringing clothes down there for the kids and being taught that really we can make a difference, even if it's small. and. Over a period of time, um, you know, as my father's business grew, the amount that we would give back and the way we would give back in the in the community kept to build and grow. And so, still, it's a, a huge ethos and fundamental for us today. And um, for me, I've adopted the mentality that we're blessed to be a blessing. And with that, I believe comes great responsibility. I don't think it's an accident that you or I. Um, are in Canada, um, many of your listeners that were born in Canada, and we're afforded so much opportunity. Like if you woke up this morning and you got to go to your bathroom and turn on the tap to not just clean water, but running water, you're rich. Yeah. If you brush your teeth, you're rich. If you had the ability to take transit today or use a bike or drive a car, you're rich on a global standard. And so I've always felt that we can really make money with a purpose. And so it kind of puts a different passion and a different reason for waking up um, every morning when you know that you're really changing lives through your business or your vocation. Hearing you say that reminded me actually of an example that uh, one of the pastors at my old church gave. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you can imagine um, holding your hand out in a closed fist in front of you and having someone pour change on it, you're not going to be able to catch any of that money. But if you open your hand, mm-hmm. you can catch the money. But if you tip it and give it away and keep and then flip it back up, you can keep you know, getting money and then giving it away and getting money and giving it away. And it sounds like that's what your dad's done and really had that practice in place. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have the mindset of when I get to a certain, you know, financial level, then I'll start giving back. But he was always giving. And so that when he was making more money, he was able to give away more money. And that just was the cycle. Am I right Correct. in saying that? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I like that. That's really cool. And so one of the ways that you give back, which was um, something that you started independently, mm-hmm. was the Freedom Walk. Why did you get involved with that? What is that? How has it grown throughout the years? So I decided 10 years ago to found an organization called Freedom uh, that fights human trafficking right here in Canada and also abroad. And my journey in fighting human trafficking started when I was 18 years old. I was living in Hawaii. I started my university education there uh, for marketing. And I witnessed firsthand uh, girls who were younger than me, ages you know, 13, 14, 15, that were being prostituted. Um, at the time, I saw them as prostitutes. And I wanted to understand whether you believe prostitution was right or wrong. I wanted to understand why a 13-year-old, why a 14-year-old would choose to be in this industry. And 
through a long period, um, it was about two years of me interacting with the girls and it's a much longer conversation, but um, I was able to build trust and start building a relationship with them and starting to learn about the modeling agencies that didn't exist when they came to Hawaii uh, to their boyfriends that promised them a dream vacation of a lifetime and it literally turned into their worst living nightmare to the forced abortions, to their pimps taking their kids to school, picking their kids up from school, and being on an island surrounded by thousands of kilometers of water, it's not easy to escape. And so what I learned back then, and the word human trafficking really didn't exist. Um, Obviously, you know, it's in the dictionary somewhere, but amongst politicians, amongst the government, amongst civilians, the media, this word human trafficking really didn't exist. And so what I started to learn is that the word prostitute that we equate so much with choice is widely misrepresented. And the more accurate term to be using is prostituted. At the time, I was about now about 19, 20 years old. I was sitting on the beach in Hawaii, in Waikiki. And I just had this moment with myself saying, if this was me, I'd be praying that somebody would see me as a victim, not as a whore, not as a slut, not as these judgmental terms that we would attribute to somebody in this position, not making lame excuses of survival of the fittest or they have no other options, um, but would see them for what they really are as a victim. And if that was me, I'd be praying that somebody would be coming for my rescue and also be praying that somebody would be speaking out on my behalf. Um, They all have voices. I like to say that they've been silenced. Um, And so I vowed to myself back then that as long as I had a voice, I was going to share their stories. I was going to tell people at the time I didn't know it was going to be the world, but I, you know, I wanted to make it known that this was not a choice, uh, that what was happening was not okay, and that these girls are being exploited as slaves. And so that brought me on a journey um, for about, you know, six years, seven years, something like that. And, uh, and then in 2010, um, I came back to Canada. I lived in Australia. I was living in Hawaii, as I mentioned. And I wanted to understand what was going on in the landscape of our country. And there was, again, there was this disconnect of agencies doing great work to bring in victims of human trafficking that have been rescued but nobody knew that it's happening in our country Mm. and our government didn't know about it and i believe firmly you can't fight something that you're not aware exists and to get people to rally behind it or donate to something it's just good business practice to understand what you're giving your money to and i grew up in oakville which is you know one of the most affluent cities in all of canada And so a lot of our clientele in real estate happened to be a lot of the top CEOs, not just in Toronto, but some of them in the country and a few of them in the world. And I wanted to tell these stories of these girls. I wanted to, I wanted them to help. And I knew that if they didn't understand what the problem was as to what human trafficking is first, never mind that it's here in Canada, but then why is it in Canada? Who's it happening to? What are the economics really behind this issue? That they wouldn't give money to it. And so that's really how Freedom was birthed, um, was out of this necessity and to bridge this gap and to raise awareness and funds to fight human trafficking in Canada. 
And so we focus on all things to do with prevention to doing campaigns and events and speaking engagements. And we spend a lot of time in high schools and business groups to being a stakeholder to all levels of government as well. So we help to implement legislation, help to suggest new legislation. We've amended the criminal code in Canada three times. And our signature event um, is the Freedom Walk, which uh, you brought up. And so we just had this past September was our seventh, our seventh one. And it'll bring together anywhere between, you know, five to 700 people. Uh, one year we did one in Ottawa as well, and we had over a thousand people attend. And it's a very powerful morning that brings the community together to learn about human trafficking. And you're going to hear from law enforcement, you hear from survivors of, of human trafficking. I share a few words as well. And by the end of the morning, you're ready to go out to the streets and we do a three kilometer walk. And then we end at Osgood Hall and uh, City Hall right in Toronto. We try to make as much peace noise as possible. Wow. Uh, so you first witnessed this when you were in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Hawaii. How do you say that? Oh, Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what made you, when you came back to Canada, like, did you then go looking for those that were being prostituted in Canada because you had an aha moment where you thought if this is happening and, you know, as place as beautiful as a gorgeous island, it must mm-hmm. be happening in Canada as well. Or did you come back to Canada for the family business and you wanted to continue with this initiative? How did, how did the Canadian part of that come into play? That's a great question. Um, I've actually never been asked that question, so I always like to give credit where credit's due. That's a good question. How did it? How did I first when I came back here? Um, to tell you the truth, I knew I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was going to be, but that I needed to raise the vibration of what was happening in Canada. And there was one day after church. Um, my parents and I, we had gone into a coffee shop in Oakville and there was on the front page of the Toronto Sun was this girl named Tamia Nagy who was trafficked from Hungary to Toronto and when she was like 18 and it was front page. And I picked up the newspaper and I said to my father, and I still actually have the newspaper article, I said to my father, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with her one day. I said, I don't know how, but I'm gonna work with her. And I reached out to a few people in government to, you know, see what they were doing. Um, and then I, I brought together very grassroots, like I brought together about 40 people. I had this invitation of, I want to put together, first it was an initiative. Freedom wasn't a nonprofit at that point. It was like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Like I've never run yeah. an organization. So it was like, okay, like we want to fight human trafficking. We know that we have a name. We know that we have a logo. We have that. And so I brought together like 30 people and said, are you interested in marketing? Are you interested in fundraising? Are you good at communications? Are you good at admin stuff? And kind of those silos of people and then said, okay, well, what are we going to do? And it started out as simple, like awareness campaigns. And through that, Um, And leveraging off of some of my business relationships, um, the Oakville Beaver, which is now Metroland today, but back then it was still uh, part of the Oakville Beaver. We've advertised in that paper for 30 years and, or back then I guess it would have been less, probably at that time it was like 25 years. And so I called on a favor to 
the real estate section of the Oakville Beaver, um, this lady named Suzanne, and I said, I just, I need some coverage. I'm going to do a speaking engagement or I'm going to do this campaign. And can you guys throw some dollars in to help me? And it was really Halton Region that helped to birth the movement for freedom um, that's now gone on to be, you know, a nationally recognized organization. So, so it sounds like with your your background in education and marketing and your experience growing up in a family-run business and then you taking on this nonprofit that you really have that skill set of marketing and you've used that to your advantage to get this nonprofit off the ground into the level where it's at today. Is there any overlap between the nonprofit organization and the business, and, and is that helping your business in any way? And how how do those vast contrasts of dealing in the luxury real estate mm-hmm. and dealing with people who are being prostituted? How does that all come together in Shay's world? Well, sometimes it can be messy, um, but overall, um, it, it works. You know, I think again. You know, I had mentioned about making money with a purpose, and I think there's not a better time in really society and our culture where anybody who's getting into business or already has an established business, um, like it's never too late to give back. So if you're not giving back right now in your business, um, I would encourage you to to see what you love, and you don't need to go start a nonprofit. You don't need to do crazy things like me. You know, but picking something that aligns with your core and aligns with your passion and merge that with your business and um, being genuine is the most important thing. So if you just pick something for the sake of pick picking something, one, there's going to be no longevity to it, but your either your competition or clients or potential clients that are, are seeking maybe to use you for your services they're going to feel it and it, it and it's not going to work out well, you know? And for me, consistency has been the biggest thing. Today, um, I literally just sold a house last week and the sellers of that home called me and said, we've been watching you for five years and we love everything that you do and you stand for with freedom and how you give back in the community. And so we decided four years ago that we want we wanted to use you to list our home once we're ready to, to list. So I think like for, you know, for your audience and for people listening, you really need to pick something that's that's genuine so that you can grow with it and it can evolve into your brand. And some people, even in Toronto, really know me just as freedom. They don't even know I do real estate or that I'm like in business. Yeah. yeah. Like it's so funny. Um, and freedom's a fully 100% volunteer organization. So it doesn't put food on my table and doesn't put a roof over my head. Um, But it's interesting how your brand um, in some ways can elevate um, you as a person. And through that, just the right people end up coming into your pathway. So, um, and there's totally different ways that you can market to show that you know, you're giving back a percentage, whether it's off of, you know, we're talking about for, for you with fashion. So is it off of each piece that you one design or is it off of each piece that you sell, um, aligning a cause to really being like the ambassador behind your, your company or your designs. Mm -hmm. So you said that when you saw the newspaper, you told your dad, you were going to work with her. Did you, Mm -hmm. once you established the nonprofit a little bit more, did that opportunity arise? 
Um, it did. It was um, really bizarre and unique how it all came together. Um, I was hosting a panel discussion on uh, buying sex is not a sport. It was around the Olympics and it was at the University of Toronto uh, that we were hosting this panel with three other survivors and Tamea ended up being in the room and she came up to me at the end or sorry I came up to her at the end and just introduced myself and there wasn't room there wasn't wasn't right to be like here's my number and I like I, you know I saw you in the newspaper and I have this idea and we really should work together I just took a step back and I just was like this is just step one and in time it'll blossom and um, to speed it up, Freedom ended up funding um, her organization that ran one of the um, one of the most well-known safe houses in all of Canada called Walk With Me at the time. And still today, she's one of my uh, dearest friends. I just had uh, dinner with her last weekend. She's coming over tomorrow. And she also sits on the board for Freedom as well. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So we touched a little bit about how being in media helped you really kickstart this organization. Mm-hmm. And now your real estate uh, your real estate business also has a magazine, Inviata Magazine. Can you tell us why that's such a value add to your clientele? So, you know, I think when you are in a creative space, so it's interesting, yes, we're in real estate, but... My father will say all of the time that we're in the events marketing business and we just happen to sell real estate. So it's completely the other way around. Um, We're always thinking about creative ways outside of the box. And um, years ago when the economy crashed back in 07, real estate stopped, especially in the luxury market. And so needing to think, how do you get money to move when in luxury it's not a necessity it's a want and so how do you how do you still have your business survive when nobody's selling nobody's buying it was only rentals happening at that point and so we birthed the magazine to create events that brought people together where we would host something at one of our listings and we would bring in the best of the best brands and so the best car companies from Porsche to Maserati to Mercedes to the spas, to the restaurants in our area. Um, One of them actually, you might know, 7N Oteca now, um, that's like close to where we are sitting today. Um, We would bring in the different restaurants and caterers and then bring out our clients and invite 100 people, 150 people. And so the magazine was a reason to bring businesses into the magazine for revenue to birth the magazine, a place for us to showcase real estate also for our sellers for their homes to be advertised and to be seen and then it caused this desire to either want to come out and see the car and there was this beautiful exchange that would end up happening where somebody's saying I don't need a house to buy or sell I want to see this new phantom you know Rolls Royce that's just been released and instead they came and see the house and they loved the house and they ended up buying the house other times it's the reverse. People come to see the house and we ended up selling like three Rolls Royces doing these type of events where they'd never seen that happen before. So the magazine for us is absolutely a value add. It's still, um, you know, still strong today and we cover all different components 
in home and lifestyle within the luxury realm. Um, and it gives us a different market advantage as well, right? You know, it, there's not a lot of um, agents really doing this type of level. Um, and so it's just another reason to gain new clients uh, for one reason or another. Shay, you've peppered in a lot of good advice in terms of being genuine and authentic with your audience about giving back and about marketing. I wanted to pivot just a little bit because I do have a lot of emerging artists and designers who are in the fashion industry who listen to this podcast. And I know that a lot of them are interested in tapping into the luxury market. I think one of the problems though that a lot of these new designers face is they think that they can make something charge a massive amount whether it's worth that or not and that they will sell to a certain clientele and be fit for life Mm -hmm. Um, that's not the way it works and that can also come across as very tacky and that's not how the luxury market necessarily wants to be targeted so what would your advice be to new and emerging Canadian designers who are looking to target the luxury market so I think that with when you step into into luxury you step into a completely different ball game and so your product um, is expected to be top drawer it's expected to have no corners cut it is the, what we would call the white glove service and so starting at that, if you don't have a product um, that meets those standards or you're a person who's looking to get things done quickly and kind of like the get rich quick scheme, you know, and cutting corners, you're not going to last in the industry. The second thing with that after you have a good product is I think a lot of people pat themselves on the back that they have a good product. When you're in the luxury market, that's the expectation. You're not impressing anybody by having a good product. So I'm, I, you get what you pay for. That's where that saying comes from. So if you present me a luxury item and I pay for that item, I expect it to be good quality. So there's no reason for me to necessarily come back to you unless I like it. And so within the luxury realm, service excellence is the number one secret it's creating an experience for your clients that nobody else is doing Um, it's in those extra small details and we go out of our way to create something that people have to talk about you right when you've done a job satisfactory there's no reason like i said our clients expect us to deliver a certain caliber of service so if we do a good job we're not getting a pat on the back. They're paying us for that. So why do they have to say thank you, well done, right? So it's creating these things, whether it's sending you know, from bottles of wine to flowers um, to special invitations to um, having access to things that they normally wouldn't get, um, but creating different high-touch you know, services for clients. And I kind of always say to people, it's harder when you're trying to showcase for me explaining my own business but I think if you were to go into comparing walking into the Holiday Inn versus walking into the Ritz Carlton and asking yourself what's the difference they both have beds they both have food they both have you know people at the reception but how did they make you feel what was the difference and how can you take some of that and apply it into your business Uh, We study a lot of major luxury brands and adapt 
um, their service quality into our business. We have, you know, a concierge service that we call it, you know, the NVIDIA concierge where you're following up with your clients, asking how was your service? How could we have made this experience for you better? Not the product, just the experience. How could we make that better? Um, thanking our clients by providing them with closing gifts or housewarming gifts and then also anniversary gifts because a lot of agents in my industry it's like once they've sold a house or bought a house they might drop off a bottle of wine and then that's it you never hear from that agent again and especially right now in a world where we're talking about conscious economics where there's such a disconnect between the phone and human beings that creating that human element and intention of communication longevity building relationship is really what's going to set you apart and oftentimes it's those type of experiences that even if you don't actually have what we would consider a true luxury product is going to make me want to come to you time and time again because of the experience that I had from A to B. From the moment you pick up the phone or you walk in the door or you do a, you know, um, a consultation for design for your clients to the end of them wearing your piece. But then what happens next year on the anniversary of them buying that? Are you doing something that's like a surprise and delight? Tiffany & Co. has, I, we steal that language from them. They do these surprise and delights for their clients. So that's a good tip too, where, you know, just go Google that and research what is a surprise and delight for clients and how can you introduce that into the end game of your business? Because that's where your referrals come from. That's where people talk about you. It's what they didn't expect that they're going to start sharing about you. You can't help but not do that. Silkies, you can't see this, but I'm fighting a huge smile right now because this is just such good advice. And if you're not doing surprise and delights, you absolutely must from here on out. Shay, thank you so much for coming. I We could go on for another half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> we truly could, but I'll, I'll wrap it up um, because I knew I know my, my audience has a short attention span. Sure. Um, but where can people follow you on Instagram, get in touch with you and follow along on what you're doing? Uh, so we have a few different social media handles, and um, but my main one is Shay Nvidiata, which is like a tongue twister. Uh, but if you just put in S-H-A-E, I should pop up. Um, you know, you'll be able to find me or going to our website, um, nvidiata.com or freethem.ca. Love it. Thank you. Silkies, before I let you go, I want to give a huge thank you to Jessica Panetta and Conceptual Events Society, who sponsors the Dose of D podcast. Conceptual Events Society is a PR and event firm. They can help you with anything you need in terms of getting your brand out there, making sure that you get media coverage, making sure that your events run smoothly, fashion shows, and coming up with social media strategy. Silkies, we have so much coming up this year. It's actually insane and I am so excited to take you along on the journey and bring all of you in. Some of you have been there since day one. Some of you have come along throughout the journey over the past couple of years. I would just ask that if, if you can't support the brand financially or if the things that I make aren't necessarily your style or your taste or it's out of your price point, whatever it may be, please continue to support in as many free ways as you can. That can be as simple as leaving a review on iTunes, as subscribing to our YouTube channel, to sharing this content with friends and family. 
all of that stuff helps. It helps us grow, it helps us build, and it helps us actually get paid gigs. And I um, obviously, as an artist, I need all the crowd funding and support that I can get. Um, so if, if money is something that you struggle with right now, there are other ways to help. That being said, if you would like to back us, we do have a Patreon channel where you can donate to us every month. Um, even 10 bucks, 10 bucks a month goes a huge, huge long way. Or we do create products as well obviously so we have our silk pillowcases which are our number one uh, they were our number one seller in 2019 um, we also have the kindness boxers we have silk shorts and we do custom pieces as well bridesmaids dresses um, just like party dresses clubbing dresses whatever it is that you're looking for as long as you are not afraid to own what you got flaunt it walk into a room full of confidence we can design something for you thank you and have a great day